All right. Welcome to the Outside Our Walls podcast. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, just as a reminder, the reason that we do this podcast is to just to make sure that we're gaining uh, wisdom from people outside of our church. We don't want to just be uh, a group of people that are um, wise in our own eyes. And there's, people, there's a lot of people uh, worldwide, not just in the United States, but uh, who are godly that can, we can really benefit from. And today I have uh, with me um, a good friend. Why don't you introduce yourself, man? Introduce yourself to, to everybody. And then we'll talk a little bit about you and, and uh, try and try and go forward and get some, get some good stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me, Jason. My name is Edward Paz. I'm uh, the lead pastor at uh, the Movement Church in Oakland, California. We planted the church. Uh, it's going to be seven years ago uh, this September. Uh, my wife is Rebecca Paz, been married for 15 going on 16 years. And so, uh, and we have a chocolate Labradoodle merit. And so that's <laughs> a bit about us. Nice. That's awesome. And Edward and I know each other because, um, well, we met, I guess we met, how was it about a year ago? Maybe was yeah. it during the summer? I guess it was about a year ago at our cohort, um, at our cohort for Acts 29. And um, you were in Vegas doing something else too, though. You were there doing like a conference or what were you, what yes, were you doing so, while you were there? So, um, yes, I was a part of a conference around one of the topics we're going to talk today about prayer. And so I was in town, uh, a part of that conference and for a board meeting for an organization called Strategic Renewal, uh, which has an emphasis around uh, prayer and the ministry of the word. And so I was in town for that event and I was able to get both in with the cohort. Uh, with you guys as well. Yeah, man. And it was good, good meeting you there. So I'm grateful for your time, man. Thanks for jumping in with us. Actually, um, one of the, let's start with prayer because I think that, I think that that was, you had the cohort with you, uh, met you there. And then right, not too long after that, you spoke at the Acts 29, uh, national or the, at least the West conference, I guess it was in yeah. Reno. And you, you actually talked about prayer. So your, your topic that day was, prayer and you had a, a burden for it. And I just love for you to chat with that. Some of the stuff that you said there um, was you said that uh, you started with some opening thoughts on just your burden, some burdens that you had as you've thought about the topic of prayer. And obviously as Christians, we um, prayer's a discipline, um, but it's sometimes a discipline that's used um, as a uh, maybe like as an escape net. I don't know. Like it's, it can be a little different. So these are the things that you said. And I just love for you to to maybe talk about this a little bit, four things that you said were um, you have a burden that sustained personal and corporate prayer is elusive, that prayer is a knee-jerk reaction more than a pursuit of intimacy, that we would often rather explain him, uh, explain God or talk about him than engage with him, and that prayerless pastors lead prayerless churches. So those are the four burdens that you actually brought, which I thought were all really good. Obviously, I wrote them all down because yeah. they, were, they were excellent. But why, why don't we keep in your mind, as you think about those things, what is it about prayer that we don't keep it a priority? Why, why do you, have you thought about it? Give yeah. me some thoughts there. Yeah, I, I, um, you know, those burdens come from uh, personal experience. And so the idea of wanting to explain God rather than be intimate with him, uh, the idea of prayer being a knee-jerk reaction than a proactive pursuit of intimacy. These were just things in my own life as a, a believer uh, for the last, you know, 25 plus years or so that I just found to be true. And, 
the heart of the talk was really, I think, the reason why we don't pursue prayer more uh, disciplined or more consistently is because we look at it from the perspective of primarily getting something from God as uh, as opposed to giving something to God. And so um, if you're looking to get answered prayers as opposed to give God worship, there's always going to be a uh, a frustration when our prayers aren't being answered. And when our prayers aren't being answered, we typically stop praying. And so uh, the big aha for me has just been when I look at prayer as a worship unto God, praising him for who he is, thanking him for what he's done. And even in my petitions, um, using those petitions as acts of worship. And so if you're praying for healing or praying for breakthrough or praying for your child, instead of just looking at solely as, Lord, would you please do this for me? I'm going to offer this prayer of faith as an act of worship unto you. Because as it says in Romans that, you know, everything is from God and through God and to God for the glory of God. Uh, we can put prayer in there as well. And when I started looking at prayer as worship, uh, it changed everything for me because um, God is worthy of my worship all the time. Therefore, he's worthy of my prayer uh, as often as I can pray. That's good, man. Do you give me a give me a practical on that? Like as you've thought to apply that in your own life, um, how have you how have you done that in terms of worshiping through prayer? Yeah, I think I, I, I gave the very personal example at the conference of um, my wife. You know, my wife is someone who uh, we have been unable to have children, uh, have desired to have children, you know, in over 15 years of marriage. And we found out last um, March um, that she had cancer in her uterus. And so um, I remember one particular prayer meeting um, just not wanting to pray for healing anymore, not wanting to pray for healing, not wanting to pray uh, to have a child because it just seemed like I don't think the Lord wants to answer this prayer. We've been praying this prayer for 15 years. And, um, and then I feel like the this, this Holy Spirit of God just kind of whispered into my ear, don't pray it because you want it. Pray it because I'm worthy of the worship that comes along mm-hmm. with the faith of praying it again. And so I prayed it. I prayed it that night again. And unfortunately, um, and, and this is news to you, Jason, uh, but I'll, you know, just share it with yeah. you because we're just yeah. talking here. Uh, we found out uh, actually during this COVID time that um, her cancer was not suppressed. Hmm. Um, and so she did have to have a hysterectomy and praise hmm. God that hysterectomy went well and she is cancer free. Hmm, but so the prayer wasn't answered. Ultimately, the prayer of her healing, the prayer of us having a child naturally wasn't answered, but uh, God was still worthy and he is still worthy of the prayers that were prayed because um, in praying those prayers of faith, he's, he's glorified and he's worshiped. And so that's, that's a very real deal uh, application for me in this. Yeah, that's good. I I think that I think that one of the things we can think of, maybe you can address this too. E- even as your, um, first of all, that's great about your wife and um, cancer free. Um, yeah. In in that there is an answer in some ways to your prayers, which yeah. was that's not, you know, 
that might have been good, but that's not best. Um, and for whatever reason, the Lord is, he's answered it a different way. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think when that happens, we can either be tempted to um, pull back from the Lord or assume um, he's not good or assume he doesn't like us or we, or maybe even what have I done in my life that has caused God to not answer this the way that I wanted it to go? Speak to that a little bit, if you could, like, have you thought about those things? How do we, how do we think about that in those times where God just doesn't seem to answer the prayers the way we would feel like is the good way for him to answer the prayers, the right way for him to answer the prayers? Yeah, I definitely want to connect with the feelings of, of guilt and condemnation. You know, my wife and I, we actually, you know, engaged in premarital sex. And so there was this, is because we did that, number one, is that why we can't have a child, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and then number two, like, is is this why, you know, even something like cancer would happen is because we, we just didn't do things God's way. And and when you realize, I think one thing theologically that's helped with that is, you know, Jesus died for our sins and he paid the penalty for our sin once and for all. And so um, he was punished for our sin. And so when I think about not being able to have a child, um, we're no longer punished by God in this lifetime. Now, there are consequences for sin but in terms of feeling like God is punishing me for something I did in my past, uh, to, to, to know theologically that Christ has borne the full weight of God's wrath for our sin, past, present, and future, um, so that just helps. And then in terms of uh, how do I reconcile a God who doesn't answer prayers my way, um, when I look at a God who loves me, and a God who is love, and all God can do is love me. How I think about it is God has chosen to love me and my wife by not allowing us to have a child naturally, because that's the best way. He, he doesn't know how to do anything else but love me. And so this act is not unloving. I just can't see the full picture of how this is the greatest expression of God's love and very likely, in hindsight, I'll be able to see it. Yeah. Uh, just like we're able to see, you know, for example, our church as a new church plant uh, didn't grow like I wanted it to grow in the early years, nor has it grown currently in the ways I've wanted it to grow. And so God didn't answer those prayers. Yeah. But in hindsight, I see how he was loving me because number one, he was protecting me from pride. Number two, he was developing me into a more loving shepherd. And if the numbers would have been larger, I wouldn't have been as loving, I believe, as, as a shepherd that I am today. And so those are just a couple things like, wow, God, you, you held back the answer to that prayer in the way I wanted it. But in hindsight, I see you are doing the best thing for me. And yeah. um, so those are just a couple things that I think about to, to combat some of the lies, like your unanswered prayer is a result of your sin, so you're being punished, or your unanswered prayer is, you know, um, <coughs> uh, evidence of of God not loving you. Those are just a couple things that come to mind. 
Yeah, that's good, man. I um, let me speak to that. Your uh, your emails are coming in, I think. So yeah, I got some. T- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if I could turn it off or what I'll if, do. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. Yeah. If it does, it's, that's fine. Just yeah. So I I think um, I think one of the things that's can be hard to get because we're we're all in situations um, currently, maybe even <laughs> like we're we're just yeah. dealing with stuff that's difficult and we feel like what, what is good for me is this, obviously like to our, in our minds, we go, obviously this would be the best. Um, we're just going through it. We're just in a series in acts and we're just talking about Paul going through, uh, from, from the Ephesian church, then to Tyre, then to, then to Phoenicia back to, um, Jerusalem and all the way the elders are going, don't go to Jerusalem. That doesn't seem wise. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you going? You're going to get imprisoned there. And I think from a human perspective, we're like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. He's an apostle. He's built churches. He's God's using him. But what's best for the churches in God's eyes is for that to take place. What's best for the churches was to have Paul and Barnabas separate. What's best for the churches. And it, and sometimes human wisdom, we're like, if, if God answers our prayers the way that I think we feel like they were wise, sometimes those things like what you just said, can, they might crush us as people. Yeah. Yeah. Like sin might take over. And so we just don't know. Like I think, it's, I think that's the best way. We don't know what God is doing. In 20 yeah. years, maybe we look back and go, huh, like what you just said. Oh, great. And, and one thing that balances this out, because what you don't want to do is say, well, then I, w- I don't want to pray because I don't know if it's the best thing for me to pray or I don't know if it's God's will. What balances the other part out is that he's our heavenly father and that he loves to hear the cries of our heart. And so even if it's not what God wants, um, to pray in faith, I think is something that honors God because it says, look, I'm just your child I don't know if you want my wife and I to have a child uh, of our own, but, but I'm asking for it because I trust you. Or I, uh, you, you may have something greater for me in store by withholding this job from me, but, but I want a job. You know, like, I, I just want you to know, Lord, I want a job right now. And so uh, I don't want us to be so maybe reformed in our thinking and so sold on the sovereignty of God that we're not just laying our hearts bare before him. Mm to say, Lord, would you please? You know, I think sometimes in, in certain circles, we couch our statements of how we pray, Lord, if you <laughs> will, and we you get yeah. so technical to make sure you're saying it just right. And sometimes we just got to remember, remember this is a father-child relationship. And, you know, I, I know this not as a father having uh, natural children, but being a pastor, man, I want the people in our church to ask me whatever. I don't want them to have to approach me scared or having to couch their statements. Like, man, just asking if the answer is no, the answer is no. But I think the, the way in which we approach God in faith, it also points to the level of intimacy we have with him as a father and not just the holy God. Mm, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's really, that's really helpful. Um, if there's anybody listening to this, that's just kind of in the spot you were in um, when you were talking about you're praying for, you know, children and like you're tired of praying. Yeah. You're just, you're just kind of sick. Maybe that's like a discouragement. Maybe there's a mixture of anger with the Lord. Maybe it's just weariness of, of this is a prayer I've prayed too many times. And obviously the Lord, um, 
maybe, maybe, and maybe you've already answered this. I know you talked about worship being that heart motive. Um, is that how you'd encourage somebody to? Yeah. I mean, and, and I'd say it this way, this thought came my mind, uh, across my mind one day and, um, maybe it will be helpful for someone listening is that I would love to be the man and, and maybe for the women, you know, man or woman who's listening, don't we want to be the type of person who would pray an unanswered prayer for 40 years simply because God is worthy, simply because God is worthy. And, hmm. and I just want to be that type of man. I know Jason, you want to be that type of man. I know your listeners want to be that type of person and so I would say continue praying the prayer because God is worthy of the faith that comes along with praying for it one more time. And whether it happens or not, who you become in consistently praying that prayer and looking to God and believing in God for that, uh, I think it sanctifies us. And what if um, God is doing more in us by persistently praying for something than what we think we're going to get out of the prayer. What if instead of, yeah, it being something on the outside that we get as a result of the answered prayer or praying the prayer, it's something that God does on us in the inside. And mm. I know we don't like to hear that. We don't want to hear that <laughs> and answered prayers, but I will say this, if you're in it for answered prayers, we may, once again, it goes back to motives. That may be the problem. That may be why the prayer life is dry. That may be why, you know, um, it's, it's so frustrating because when it is all about the glory of God, because I'll say one last thing here. If yeah. my prayer being unanswered glorifies God more than my prayer being answered, then what is it that I want? Do I really want God's glory in the world to a greater degree mm. or do I want my prayer answered? Now, hopefully there'd be times when I could have both, yeah, <laughs> you know, right, answer right. prayer and God's glory. But if it, it was to be that God is more glorified in the unanswered prayer, I want to be the type of guy that says, then let it be so. Mm. That's good. Yeah. And you're speaking a lot to just it, why we should pray. So we, we, we should pray because we believe God is good. We believe God answers prayer. Um, We believe God can do it. It's not, nothing's impossible. We don't believe God has to do it. No. Um, But, but if we're trusting him fully of what you're saying in worship and in glory, and if we trust him that he sees a thousand roads instead of the one road we see, um, then whether or not God's going to answer a prayer the way we feel like he should or not, our motive or our motives can be Lord, your will be done on this. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, yeah, that's really helpful, man. You, you had mentioned, um, I love talking to you about prayer. I could actually ask you a thousand more questions yeah. on this. Yeah. We'll have you, we'll have you back on. Um, yeah. You, you talked a little bit a second ago about you praying in terms of even your church as you planted seven years ago, correct? Yeah. Seven years. Ago. The yeah. movement church in Oakland. Yep. Um, and um, I've actually never been to Oakland. Love to do it. Just telling you that a second ago, I've been to San Francisco. I know that there's, there are different, definitely really different cities. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But you wrote a book this past year, 2020, right around pandemic time. Right? Like it came out right, right around, <laughs> which is the best time to release a book. So yeah. <laughs> we planted a church a year ago. Today's our one year anniversary of church planting. So 
we're congratulations. uh congratulations that's awesome man yeah thanks yeah man it's been it's been a it's been a really fun interesting uh year because yeah. you know six months six months of pandemic ish four or five months whatever it is has been fascinating but um so seven years and so you wrote a book to uh pastor you right now and ask you how that's going but this is your podcast <laughs> let me pull back from that i just want to check in on your soul check in on your heart but uh we can, <laughs> we can do that afterwards yeah quick answer to that is i think we're doing good i mean i think the lord's meeting us i i really am we're looking forward to getting back you know arizona the phoenix area in particular people are churches are starting to get back to opening i know in california it's a different deal but but where we are people are churches are starting to try and figure out how to open we're just waiting um, our school uh, has pushed back our date a little bit. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to figure that we're so eager though, to see everybody, see everybody face to face. So maybe, maybe by the time people listen to this, which is a couple weeks from now, uh, it will be open. I have no idea, but we'll, we're, we're trying to go on, but we're doing, we're doing well. You can talk to me about it after we, after we get off, we'll answer some more of those, but you wrote, you released only God. Um, which is your first book, correct? I mean, you've written a yeah. number of stuff on, on online, like articles and things on your website, but yeah, it's called a supernatural church planting story. Um, tell me about why you wrote this book. Tell me about the structure because the structure is great. I actually really enjoy, you know, how you, how you, it's 30. Well, you, you explain it. I love how you've done it. The 30 things and the attributes of God and how they're connected and why you wrote the book. Yeah. And so uh, a part of, Really, I, I wrote it um, because I could be so ungrateful at times. I could be so ungrateful. I could be so forgetful. Um, and uh, in light of what I thought the church was going to be, uh, those dreams in some ways not coming true, I felt like, okay, it may not five years into it been all that I wanted it to be. But if I look back, man, God has done some amazing things. And so the first thing was really to just uh, recount what God has done, to be those stones of remembrance like in the Old Testament so that future uh, members of the church would, would see, hey, this is where we came from. This is, you know, the foundation of how God built our church. But to make it something that was helpful for more than just the people in our church, I wanted to attach a specific attribute of God to every story, because it's 30 stories of, of, of God's miracles in our church over these first five years, um, and attach an attribute of God. And that really goes back to prayer as well, because as we pray, uh, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with praising God for who he is, is we don't have language. We don't have the language of the attributes of God. And so I wanted to help our people connect miracles with who God is. That way, when we pray, we can, we can pray to him for being a provider, for pray to him for being a sustainer, a reconciler, all the attributes of God that were attached to the various miracles. And I think I say it in the introduction, something to the effect of what God does change, but who God is never changes. And too often we tether our faith in God to what he's doing as opposed to who he is. And if our faith in God was more tethered to who he is, when what he's doing doesn't line up with what we want him to do, um, our faith won't be so fickle because we're grounded in the character of God. Yeah, that's good. 
And I think that, I think it plays out really well in the book. Um, just as you, as you hit. And what's great about it too, if you're looking to pick it up, you can pick it up on Amazon. We'll, we'll connect yeah. it in the, in the notes here at the bottom, but um, every, every chapter has got some questions um, attached, you know, the attribute of God, some questions that you can just self-reflection, I think yeah. just helping people devotionally, I think just to think through it, which has been great. And the chapters are, are not long. Um, so if you're a person that's kind of like, I don't, I can't read books and I don't like to read whatever. I mean, you're talking three pages, three or four pages per chapter yep. and, um, and some questions there. So it's a, I think it's good. Um, helpful. How's a helpful way you wrote it? Um, just for that, that side, but you wrote in year two, we're starting year two. So I thought I would just pick, I was trying to figure out what to pick out here. I thought let's go year two because yep. <laughs> that's what we're jumping in. Uh, two, two, two chapters in that section of the book, uh, disaster and recovery, which yeah. is a part of me is like, Oh, good. The disaster and recovery. I'm glad for the recovery part. I don't I hope that, you know, the disaster, who knows what the Lord's going to do, but yeah. let's hope that, but, uh, but the, you know, disaster and the, the, um, attribute there is God is a pruner. Yeah. And recovery, God is a labor sender. Yeah. Can you just expound upon that a little bit? Give, give everyone a taste a little bit of the book. Um, yeah. How in you that, about in that, um, Going from our first year uh, into our second year, celebrating our two-year anniversary, it was one of the roughest years of our church plant. Um, the executive pastor that we had at the time, uh, we really just started to see things differently uh, in so many words. Uh, he, he basically wanted to, to go off and do his own thing, started undermining my leadership a bit, and it just became for an unhealthy relationship. And so when I say God is a pruner, I think what happened in that second year for us is that God was uh, removing some things, some people, frankly, from our ministry that if he did not remove them, because we understand with pruning, as you cut things away, uh, you can bear more fruit is what uh, Jesus talks about in June 15, uh, uh, June 15, John 15. Uh, or June. Or Either June, one. What's going on. <laughs> um, he talks about pruning so you can bear more fruit and pruning hurts and losing those relationships and uh, the collateral damage to that relational fallout was really tough. But in hindsight, once again, in hindsight, because I would have been praying during that time, Lord, help this not to happen, reconcile our relationship, blah, blah, blah. But in hindsight, I see that um, maybe we couldn't become the church that we did become if some of those people were still in our church. And so, um, but we lost people there. Uh, we lost talent, we lost energy, we lost passion. And so that second chapter of recovery really speaks to how faithful God was then and has been to this day in sending just the right people at just the right time to accomplish exactly what he wants to do in the church. And I'm so thankful because I was wounded. We had not even reached our two year anniversary and I failed in leading my right hand guy, you know? And so uh, to see that God would still send people, strong laborers committed to the mission and loving the city of Oakland was a huge pick me up. Um, following such a disaster. And so I praise God that uh, there was light at the end of that dark tunnel for sure. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate, um, and this comes across in the book, and I think hopefully people are hearing it 
um, in my interactions with you, which has been um, an in-person cohort and uh, one or two Zoom calls uh, for cohorts, but, and then chat with you now, but, and, you know, I think that there's a humility. Look, people, everybody, every Christian is going to um, make mistakes. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to fail people. Um, I try and remind the church. I try and do it often. I don't know if it comes across that way, but like, I'm going to fail people. I'm going to make bad decisions. People are going to get frustrated with something I say or don't say or do or don't do. Um, And that's going to happen anywhere. I mean, we're pastors, we're sheep, we're sheep before we're shepherds. Like we're under the great shepherd, but we're just a, we're just a member of the body. We're not super members of the body. We're members of the body gifted to do one thing. And um, I just appreciate your humility because even in this, even in this, um, you know, in this just short time we've been together, so many things that you're saying are personal, um, but they're also self-reflective and you're not shying away from, look, I didn't, you didn't, I mean, the book says it, I didn't, one of the things is I didn't just didn't lead well. Um, and I think that that's, we can all learn from that, man. So thank you for modeling humility. I think that that's great for all of us to get. Um, it comes across in you. And I think that God is honored by that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear as you've thought, cause that's not the only season of difficulty. Um, obviously, um, you know, you talk about, um, you get to go with like certain secular routes where you're talking about, um, organizational structures, they go from forming to storming to norming to performing, right? Those things happen in leadership structures. So there's storming seasons. Yeah. Um, uh, in a biblical sense, we have just moments of trials and suffering, however you want to call it. But what have you learned about God's faithfulness in those? Um, as yeah. you've thought about it and you just looked back on your season, on your life, you've, maybe even this church planting life, God's yeah. faithfulness. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, he, he is so faithful to accomplish what he started out to do in our lives. And we're familiar with that verse, quote that often, and, and I'm thankful for that. I think one big aha in in situation with my wife, you know, I have a situation with not being able to see out of my right eye right now. There, there's just been some some crazy things that have gone on. But when, when Paul talks about um, knowing Christ, and knowing him in his resurrection and in his suffering, what I've come to realize, and I think this is very biblical, is when we suffer, we get to know Christ in a deeper way. And the question then becomes at that point, do we want to know Christ? And if we want to know Christ, we will get to know him most in, in his suffering. And then, but the crucifixion, Uh, precedes the resurrection. So if we want to know him in his resurrection, we have to know him in his suffering because you don't get a resurrection without a death. And so over these years, I've experienced so many different deaths, so many different losses, but God has been true to resurrect those things and maybe not in the way I would want them to, but in a more beautiful way. And so I have just come to, to, just believe in God's goodness. I think that's really something that, that's at the bottom in talking about the attributes of God. If God is good, and if he's loving, so coming back to that characteristic of he's loving, man, if he's loving and if he's good, unanswered prayers, suffering, um, 
it gets to the point where you do can see, wow, he really will work all things out for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes, because this is who God is. Yeah. And, and I've seen it happen. And once you've seen it happen a few times, it doesn't make the suffering easier necessarily, but it helps with a, a more long-term perspective around it. You don't get as much in the weeds and, and you're more hopeful because it's like, well, I've seen him do it before beautiful elevation song that they do, you know, he's going to do it again. Yeah. And, right. Um, and so that's, that's just kind of what helps me along in the suffering for sure. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, so many, so many scriptures come to mind. Um, yeah. A grain of wheat has to fall to the ground and die before it can bear fruit or, um, you know, or even, or even Paul, which sounds heretical where he says we fill up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ through our own afflictions. Um, and you just feel like, well, that doesn't sound right. Like what, (laughs) what's happening there? Or, or even in second Corinthians, you know, we're, um, we're comforted. We're comforted. We're able to comfort you by with the comfort that we found in the Lord, by which he's comforted us like that that idea. Like we can comfort others because we've been comforted by the Lord in specific ways in our suffering. Um, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross and sometimes, The suffering that we have, the thorn in the flesh, is the cross that God has called us to bear. But it's in carrying that cross that he's going to perfect his strength in us, you know. And then Paul also says to keep me from being conceited. So another means of the suffering or another goal of the suffering is to prevent our pride. And so you just see these beautiful things that God does in our suffering that he he can accomplish them in other ways, but it just seems like this is the most effective means by accomplishing certain things. And so it's, do I believe in a, a God who loves me and who's good? And if he does love me and if he is good, then I'll endure. And then even, even if, I don't know, those things don't help me, but there will be a day when there will be no more tears and no more sadness. Yeah. And, and, and so then you just have this idea of, of heaven and, and the end times and what that's all going to be. And so, yeah. Yeah. This light momentary affliction produces in us an eternal weight of glory beyond, beyond all comparison. Like just having that, even just the end results, Lord, help me walk through this life in such a way, sufferings and all, um, and joys. Like I think sometimes we can focus on sufferings. We forget many joys, um, but we just walk through it in a way. Um, I was, as you were talking, I don't, I love watching Bob Ross. I don't know if you know, I don't know if you watch Bob Ross. He's a painter on PBS. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love watching Bob Ross. He's like one of my, you have the hair. Yeah. And every single time he paints, he always draws like a massive tree. Like I got a a happy little tree and he covers up half the painting. And I'm always like, what are you doing, dude? You're going to screw up the painting. And after it's over, he finishes it and you go, all right. That was actually good. That was a good choice. Like I didn't think it every time. And I think that's what the Lord does. Like we go, why, what are you doing? Right. And then you realize, oh, okay. Like that was, that was a wise choice. I, I, I didn't believe it at the time, but now I, now I kind of see it. So maybe, and then maybe Christian maturity is the, it's um, the length of time that has to pass between the suffering mm-hmm. happening and your realization that God is good and yeah. he is going to work it out. And as time goes along, that length of time just gets shorter and shorter. Or it should be getting shorter. shorter. Mm, that's good. That's actually good. I haven't thought about that. But that's actually, that's actually true. Because if you've seen God work 
over and over and over and over again, and you've been aware of it. And, and then, then you just are waiting for it. You're waiting for him to say, Lord, what are you going to do here? Show me. Expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's good. That's helpful. Um, <clears throat> so you're in Oakland. Yep. Your church is in Oakland. You've, when did you move there? Are you from Oakland? Uh, no, I'm from the other side of the Bay. So South San Francisco, San Francisco area, which I grew up in, which is five to 10 miles away from Oakland. Okay. So, but we moved there the January before we planted in September. So January of 2013. So I've been living there now for uh, seven plus years. Yeah. Okay. Why'd you decide to go across the Bay to Oakland and not just stay in San Francisco? Yeah, we, I was doing ministry in Fremont, California, which is kind of closer to the Silicon Valley. And we were going to plant in the Silicon Valley, you know, just so much going on there. And then um, just had a couple people in the area speak to me about the city of Oakland. And God just used some conversations with people encouraging me to consider Oakland. Uh, you know, many people see Oakland as just something you drive through and not to you know, um, it's been referred to as the ugly stepbrother of San Francisco. And God kind of used phrases like that to break my heart for the city, where going to the Silicon Valley would have been like a strategic move. Uh, going to the city of Oakland became something that myself and then our team became burdened by. God loves this city. God has a plan for this city. We want to get in with the many churches who serve this city for many years and just continue what God is doing in the city of Oakland. Hmm. So that's great. That's great. What, what are some of the challenges you've faced? Cause I mean, coming, I'm sure that, I'm sure that, I mean, like I said, Oakland and San Francisco are really different cities. Um, yeah. um, and so what are, I mean, what are some of the things you're dealing with in Oakland, right? Especially right, maybe right now, currently, obviously yeah, with everything going on. Two things come to mind. I mean, um, and kind of connected to San Francisco. I mean, that area there, Oakland, San Francisco, and then Berkeley's right next door to, to Oakland. So it's just liberalism, you know, and so uh, conservative, and not from a political standpoint, but conservative biblical values um, to uphold those, to proclaim those, to stay rooted in those um, when cancel culture and when... Yeah. Um, you know, meeting in a public school there. Um, so there's just definitely some, some challenges and, and some ways in which, okay, how can we say the things that the Bible says and not come off of those things in any way, but say them in a way that's winsome um, and, and let's divide over the things that we really should divide over and not over, you know, minor things. Um, so, so that would be one thing. And then, um, you know, with the, the diversity that exists um, and with what's going on with the, the unrest uh, racially and socially, uh, having to navigate through that as a multi-ethnic church, um, you would think maybe, oh, because you're a multi-ethnic church, it might be easier, you know, um, not necessarily. And so those are a couple things that I think about that, that are are difficulties but as you know with every difficulty comes amazing opportunity and yeah. so there has been great opportunities for faith great opportunities uh to do things in ways that are fresh and winsome and actually end up building the church and actually end up building the unity of the church as opposed to most people would think well if you say that or if you do that 
that's definitely going to be the thing that disunifies the church. And um, that hasn't necessarily been the case. Yeah, that's good. You've, I know that you've sought to uh, love, love people where they are. Um, yeah. Speak truth, but love them where they are. Yeah. Um, especially, especially the community and unbelievers. Um, like you said, it's, it's tough because you're trying to be, um, you know, biblical ethics matter, biblical truth matters. Um, but also being a church that's saying, Hey, look, we want to, we want the gospel to affect, affect you. Um, I'm going to love people. And wh- I think one of the ways that you've done that, um, just even in the community that you're in is with the school, because you were telling me that you guys are trying to, you try to, I think you try to be faithful to at least even financially serve that school. Um, yeah. Is that a monthly thing that you guys do? And how has that affected your relationship with the, the, either the district or the, or the um, faculty? Or tell, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, man, it's been monumental in building the relational equity uh, in terms of giving to the school monthly. I mean, when, when we were meeting and when the school was in session and whatnot, uh, meeting there, uh, we would restock their, their snacks and, you know, every single month and we redid some of their rooms, uh, beautified, you know, some of their, their classrooms and things like that. And what ended up happening is when I um, actually made a decision to address uh, biblically, you know, what God has to say about God's design for human sexuality, um, I was able to have a conversation with the principal there who said, frankly, Ed, you know, 50% of my staff identifies as LGBT. Um, there's a way in which you could preach this message where uh, we're going to have you out of here. You know, he actually asked, I prefer if you didn't preach it, but as I shared with him my convictions and as he knew my heart, uh, he said, go ahead and preach it. Long story short, preach the message, uh, maintain the relational unity with that school there. And kind of the, the crazier thing is we're going to be actually planting a church, our first church on our seven year anniversary here in mid September. And that church is going to be planted at another school in the city of Oakland. And the principal, they're co-principals, but one of the principals at that school uh, is a lesbian. And she knows where we stand um, as it relates to God's design for human sexuality. And she is welcoming our church plant in with open Mm. arms because of the fact that, yes, we have our biblical stance, but we also uh, are loving our neighbor in a way that they can't deny. And yeah. so um, it just speaks to the fact that, which you would think would be unthinkable. Wow, you can take a stand for something, but not be a jerk about it. Or you can you know, proclaim something, but be winsome in the way that you do it. And there could really be love between people who disagree with each other strongly, but there could be a, a deep love and even respect for one another. And to see that being built over the last several years has been one of those things. I wasn't praying that prayer years ago. You know, I was praying for us to just be this big church. I didn't think we were ever going to meet in schools, but to see in hindsight, we're a smaller church meeting in schools, but having this type of impact it's one of those, ah, that's why the tree was so big, you know? Yeah, yeah. I get it now. It looks great. It's just not what I envisioned. Yeah. And I think that that, I think that, that speaks so many, it just speaks volumes of, of how to 
walk a road of true, true truth, biblical truth. Um, you know, the, the, mar- the, the marriage ethic, the relational ethic, um, as the Lord calls it out in the scriptures. And yet, how do we love people where they are like that? And I think that that is, you know, your church, I'm assuming being in that community, um, maybe, maybe not, but you know, that you're probably de- even dealing with unbelievers that are asking questions that might even be in the LGBT community Absolutely. and trying to help them understand, like, look, here, look, this is the gospel here. The listen to the, come, come listen to the Bible. Um, we want to, we want to try and figure out how to, how to help you understand who the Lord is, um, walk with him through it. You know, California, especially where you are, I just think that's part of what, as even as we think about what mission looks like, you know, mission um, doesn't stop when it comes to things we're uncomfortable with. Like mission goes out into the communities that we're God passes in. Yeah. So have you guys navigated that? Like in terms of just even that, just going out into that community and seeing a mission field and, yeah, I, the word that comes to mind, like resoundingly, is gentleness. And it's just, I, I think, um, and we look at the heart of our Savior, and, and we look at Jesus, and we look at his gentleness, and it just doesn't seem to be reflected in his church as often. And, you know, the, the things that we think about, or, or the things that unbelievers think about when they think about the church is they think about the protests or they think about people standing outside of Planned Parenthood or they think about the guy yelling on the megaphone on the sidewalk and nothing necessarily even against those approaches. I'm just saying there was a gentleness about Jesus. And because we are the body of Christ, we should embody that gentleness. And as the movement, our church has done our best to embody that gentleness um, it just helps with being received. It just helps with being heard. It just helps with being even tolerated. You know, it's like, well, we're going to tolerate the movement church because we can't deny that they're gentle and that they're loving and they're not trying to force an agenda. But it just seems like they're trying to faithfully live out what they believe, just like we're faithfully trying to live out what we believe. And so it's almost like I can respect that. I can respect I might not agree with it, but I can respect the approach that they're taking. And um, yeah, so gentleness is really a big word that comes to mind. That's so good. Which is a plug for Gentle and Lowly, which is Dana Orland's recent book, which is great. (laughs) Everybody's everybody's listening to this, trying to think how to think about gentleness. That book is remarkable. Knocked it out of the park with that Knocked it out of the park. Man, we could talk about so many other things. but I want to you know, respect time here. Tell us where we can find, find you. Um, what are you working on now? Give us some stuff. Where can we find you online? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, edwardpaws.com is, is where um, everything, everything is. I've kind of built it specifically. So whether it's the preaching you want to access, my writing you want to access, or uh, um, I also collect Air Jordan tennis shoes. And so uh, you want to access nice. my uh, Instagram account with some of my Air Jordans <laughs> on it. But um, the, the current project I'm working on, and I'll, um, I actually posted it to the Acts 29 uh, workplace, is um, I'm trying to write some commentaries through books of the Bible that are just for the everyday Christian. And so mm, uh, I finished my first one, our first draft of one through Third John, starting with the shortest book I'm working on. Jude. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> but um, just Why not? Try- 
to to uh, do a verse by verse commentary, uh, but in a way uh, that helps people who's just everyday Christian. And then same thing like the book that I wrote has some reflection questions that could help move what I'm reading, go from my head to my heart. And so um, I'll be posting those to my website soon as well. That's great, man. Well, I, I really do. I really do uh, respect you. Appreciate your time. Um, grab his book guys. If you're, if you're wanting just to have something devotionally to understand a little bit more about some of God's attributes through stories, um, from, from Edward's life and church and, um, yeah, man, looking forward to those commentaries, send them our way. We'd yeah, love to, for sure. We'd love to benefit from them. So, all right, everybody, thanks for being a part of, uh, this today's podcast. I'm looking forward to more. See you in a couple weeks. Have a great day, everybody.